Shut up and sit down. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. This is the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, as always, Daryl. And it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you on this rainy Monday morning in London. We had a brief, brief glimpse of summer, uh, but that's gone and become a distant memory. And now we're sitting here with typical British weather. So hopefully the sunshine is going to poke its head through again and more consistently. And then we can move on into summer. As I was telling you guys, I think on the last episode, I had a whole bunch of uh, renovations being done in my backyard. Looking forward to getting all my vegetables planted. That's been put on hold now because it's all uh, waterlogged and everything. But we're still growing them in the baby pots and things are looking positive. So it's been like a week, I think, since I've been on the mic. And I was just gagging to get back on here because... What a week it's been. I mean, so much shit's unfolded. So much shit has been happening. Um, and I had to get on the mic, man. I had to come back and uh, and speak on it. Um, but as we do at the beginning of every show, I want to send my, uh, my appreciation out to you guys. Uh, the numbers are looking good. The listeners are growing. The stats around each episode seem to be holding pretty consistently. Um... And that's all positive news. So the only thing that's going to keep this ball rolling, this snowball gathering steam and size and momentum is um, is by getting on the mic and and doing these shows for you guys. So um, so we're back at it. This is episode 27, I think. Um, let me just have a quick look. No, this is episode 28. So we're almost at 30, guys, and who would have thought it, eh? All those um, all those episodes ago, right? Like I'm all long in the tooth. I'm not long in the tooth, but it seems like I've been doing this for, uh, for a while now. But we did have a little hiatus there, a little gap. Um, and I'm really keen, as I said on the previous show, to get back into, uh, back into the swing of things. So let's pick it up. And, uh, and let's get on with it because there has been no shortage of both disturbing, hilarious, and just confounding things to talk about. Um, and just off the top, I want to talk about, um, I just want to talk about Mr. Mr. J-E-L-L-O, right? Mr. Cosby. Mr. Huxtable, Dr. Huxtable, you know, America's favorite dad. Well, he's America's most prolific rapist, okay? Um, And he's finally, on a retrial, been found guilty of sexual uh, sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault, um, and, uh, and giving women drugs for the purpose of making them pass out so he could fuck them. You know. Now, we're waiting on what this all means, right? But to give you a sense of it, this, I think each charge carries a potential of 10 years in prison, right? Now, it's really about what kind of example they're going to make of this guy um, and how much 
uh, how much weight they want to put into his career in terms of, you know, celebrity treatment and, you know, him being an old, decrepit man. Uh, but to be honest with you, throw the fucking book at him. I mean, it doesn't matter when these things occurred. I know there was a statute of limitations, and I think that's why only three charges were levied at him out of, what, 60 or 70 or maybe even more um, in terms of the women that have come forward to say, yeah, he fucking touched me or he harassed me or he, you know, or he drugged me. Um, so three counts... I would actually say consider yourself fucking lucky because maybe they'll go easy on you. Maybe you'll get out and you won't die in prison. But they better not let this prick off. They better not be lenient with him. Um, I don't know when sentencing is going to happen. But I think in certain situations, examples need to be made. Right? Like... This guy is clearly a person who used his power, his influence, his authority, his position, his stature, his charisma, his, you know, his station in life that, you know, he worked very hard for. I mean, this guy was a beast of a comedian, um, you know, from people in the industry. You know, their accounts say that, you know, Bill Cosby was, you know, an absolute killer on the mic, you know, Um and just a, a prolific comedian, but that was a mask for a darker part of his personality that was an abuser of women, a sexually motivated abuser of women to the point where, and I don't, I mean, we can go into the psychology behind this, but think about the mentality of a person who is you know, rich beyond belief, has broken all kinds of racial barriers, has broken all kinds of, um, you know, kind of socioeconomic and social um, narratives that were in place before the Cosby show and before his, you know, rise as a comedian and, and everything like this and the platform that he gave to other, you know, uh, black actors and actresses and, you know, all of this stuff. There, that was a veil. All of that was like a veil to, you know, get himself into this position for what it seemed, you know, was the purpose solely of um, of luring women into a place of security based on who he was, his features, you know, his, um, again, his status in life to, to assault them. And I think that starts to come under I mean maybe not initially nah fuck that if you're giving pills quaaludes Spanish fly whatever it was right slip them a mickey back in the day that kind of shit if you were doing that and you saw the result of it and then you proceeded to uh, fuck somebody while they were passed out that's premeditation you can't claim an accident and you can't claim um, cultural norms or societal norms because of the time 
uh, frame in which it was, right? It's like Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein, one of his major defenses was, I grew up in the 60s and that's how it was back then. Right? Well, racism was rampant in the 60s, but it wasn't okay. You know, the subjugation of women has happened for, you know, decades and decades and decades, but it doesn't make it right the fact that we were basically Neanderthals mentally and couldn't understand the difference between, you know, equality and subjugation. Like, you don't get to, you don't get to blame the time. You get to be on the right side or the wrong side of history based on your fundamental characteristics as a human being and never in society and never in the history of the world has it been okay to give a foreign substance to someone else without their knowledge that has a detrimental effect on their well-being or their ability to make independent conscious decisions as to whether or not they want to engage in a behavior with somebody or not. When you remove their ability to make that choice because you're making them unconscious, that is on that is on terms that is on level with premeditation. And if it's premeditation, that means you're a monster by choice. You're hiding your pathology with a veil of celebrity, kindness, moral uh, standard. You know, I mean, Bill Cosby was so quick to go after other uh, black comedians or black uh, entertainment uh, stars whenever he heard them cuss or use the n-word or you know any he was a very he was he was always the moral compass right you shouldn't be acting like this you shouldn't present yourself like this don't carry yourself like this as a black man or a black woman mainly black men um you know have a bit of um ha have a bit of um have a bit of self have a bit of self-esteem have a bit of character right uphold yourself um would be would be the word of the day and the criticism from Mr. Cosby all the while having this dirty little uh, you know dirty little secret behind the scenes that he was one of the most prolific serial rapists I think ever right I mean we're talking 60 70 plus women over the course of what 40. 30 years, something like that. I mean, from my per, from my point of view, I can't wait to see what the sentence is that they hand down. Um, and like I said, I hope they throw the fucking book at him and he should consider himself lucky that he's only been charged with three counts and not more. Um, because the premeditated aspect of this and the levying your position to put women in a position of vulnerability like this and then to assault them you're you know you're the worst you're the worst and never has there been a fall from grace like this I think ever um, but for me his constant denial his arrogance in the face of these charges um you know, there's no remorse here. There's no heartache here. There's no uh, feelings of uh, well wishes to these victims or anything like that. So fuck that guy. Throw the book at him and see you later. Because, well, 
We don't need Jello. We don't need reruns of The Cosby Show. And we don't need kids say the darndest things. I watched this clip the other day from The Cosby Show of um, Alicia Keys appearing on the um, on the show when she was like five. And he's sitting there bouncing her on his knee and swinging her side to side and like all of this stuff. But man, is it a creepy scene because when he's done with her, this little white kid comes over who's a little hefty and he acts like he can't lift him up and then he's grabbing him all over the place and like throwing him and flipping him and like putting him all over his body. And then all of a sudden he's like, the monster's gonna come get you. And it's just so creepy to see him climbing over the furniture and things like that. Like it's just, you know, the four, the, the, I guess like, then it would have been the foreshadowing, but looking back on it now, knowing what he's done is just, ugh, like shivers up the spine. It's really, really gross. So, you know, in terms of him, I think throw the book at him. He is, like I said, just a horrible fall from grace story who had, you know, had everything. He had everything. He was an amazing comedian. You know, he was a moral compass, but ultimately he was a fucking monster, a pig, a pervert, and a massive piece of shit. So I hope the judge throws a book at him. I hope he spends the rest of his life behind bars, and I hope he gets made an example of, just like I hope fucking Harvey Weinstein gets made an example of. Um, I listened to a Frontline episode podcast um, about him, and I mean, you know, the the onus on what he did was on him, right? He was a sociopath. He was a control freak. He was a manipulator. He was maniacal. And he was a tyrant from all accounts, um, both professionally and personally. So this is on Harvey, right? And I know we're switching gears slightly here, but staying in the same vein, you know, this is on Harvey. But the circle around this motherfucker of people that absolutely unquestionably knew what he was doing, knew what he was like. I'm wondering how they're going to level pe levy penalties or um, consequence on these people as well. Because, you know, we all know Hollywood is an incestuous community, right? We all know that. But the fact that... Um, what was it? Shakespeare in Love was like Gwyneth Paltrow's like come up role that was done by Harvey Weinstein. And she claims the level of assault that like she was like, yeah, he harassed me. Other people say it was much more than that. And she won an Oscar for that movie. So she was in a position of power to say something. And she didn't. And allowed this to carry on for 20 more years. There's a lot of blame to go around on this thing. You know, but the buck ultimately stops with the pervert committing the behavior. And I hope, again, like Cosby, that Weinstein gets the book thrown at him because he will be up on rape charges. He will have to answer criminally for those things. But I also want the people around him to suffer consequences for this as well because what they've done is made an incestuous environment and we get that, right? Like celebrities fuck celebrities and these inner circles and it's gross and it's like, you know, oh, this person was with this person, now they're with that person, right? You see it all the time. It's kind of part and parcel to that community. It's disgusting. But doing that kind of shit behavior on free will is different than having it thrust upon you with no choice in the matter and having your career development or longevity or whatever threatened. 
as a as a consequence. So not only do I want to see the book thrown at Cosby and Weinstein, but I also want to see this. I want to see some collateral damage around those inner circles. I mean, we know there was a contract there with statutes in place for his sexual harassment payoffs and things like that. The frontline uh, documentary that I listened to the other day, you know, had people saying, you know, in no uncertain terms, we knew what was going on, but we ignored it because, well, we just did because we needed to. Because the success was more important than the stand. It was more important to get the check and get the fuck out and turn a blind eye than it was to stand up and say something. Right? Says a lot. Says a lot. And, you know, it's 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 one of those things, right? It's like if you landed your dream job but then found out that your boss was a pervert, do you quit? Or you land your dream job, thing, something you've been hoping for, you know, your whole life, and then you find out your boss is a racist. You keep it? Or do you try to do the best work you can under the circumstances and try to flourish and make a life for yourself? Or do you bounce and take a stand? It's a character question, right? It's a character question. And it's a big one. Because, you know, we have a duty to protect each other, but we have a duty to look out for ourselves. So we'll see. We'll see how this whole thing unfolds. But, you know, there's certain things that there's certain things that need to be criticized, need to be penalized and need consequences levied upon them in the most stringent way and severe way possible. Right. But then there's some things that don't. And one of the things that doesn't is a comedian telling jokes, okay? Now, if that very, very short prelude doesn't tell you where I'm going with this, then let me just lay it out for you. The White House Correspondents' Dinner was a couple of days ago. And Michelle Wolf, and if you don't know Michelle Wolf, I think she's um she i think she's got her own show but i she also appeared on the daily show with trevor noah um she's a stand-up she's you know she's not my cup of tea i'll say straight off the bat anytime i see her on television um or you know what footage i have seen of her before the white house uh correspondence dinner I wasn't like, oh, I love this stand-up. Like, she's hilarious. Like, she's not my cup of tea in terms of her her act or her material or the way she comes across. Not my cup of tea whatsoever. However, the White House Correspondents' Dinner always has a comedian featured, right? And the point of that comedian is to roast the president. And if the president doesn't go, which is only the past couple of years, and then I think there might have been a couple of uh, previous occasions with like uh, um, Bush Sr., somebody like that. But Trump has refused to go two years in a row because he knows he's going to get roasted even worse than when he was in the crowd when Obama was roasting him. All right. 
And that was probably the linchpin on why Donald Trump decided to actually run for president because he got fucking rinsed by Obama so bad, who said he's never, ever going to be in that position, then turns around and fucking does it. Um, But he doesn't go to this correspondence dinner. He sends someone in his place. And if you haven't seen it by now, Michelle Wolf is being basically just dragged by the ankles behind a horse through the streets to be pelted with, you know, rotten fruit and stones because of her, because of her set. Now, for me, this is a fucking huge problem, right? Because as goes with the podcast world, as goes with stand-up comedy, as goes with communication in general, freedom of speech is everything, Okay? Freedom of expression, freedom of speech is everything. And I can't understate that enough. It is everything. Okay? You remove freedom of speech, we are fucking dead. We're dead as a society. Right? We are under absolute control if our speech, our freedom of speech, and our freedom of expression is removed. You won't know it. But when it's gone, it's gone. And then you're under control of whoever dictates what the rules and regulations of free speech are. So you can see this now in a number of different aspects of society, right? Whether it be the trans community, whether it be the liberal community, whether it be the progressive left or the alt-right or the feminist community or the vegan community or... The LGBT community, QA, uh, I, Z, V, W, whatever the fuck the acronym is now, it's grown to be, right? Um, Even the Prime Minister of Canada publicly interrupted somebody during a town hall um, Q&A session to say it's not mankind, it's humankind. Further to that, Canada has written into law now that gender-specific pronouns are to be adhered to or considered hate speech if not. And we're in a real, real slippery slope here, right? Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time, and it very much goes towards this Michelle Wolf White House correspondence stand-up set that she did because... What she's being criticized for are vile, personal, um, like, attacks on Sarah Huckabee Sanders and some of the other things that she said. And I'm going to tell you right now, anybody who's got a problem with Michelle Wolf's stand-up set, go fuck yourself, okay? Anybody that's saying that they're vile and it was bullying and it was harassment and it was uncalled for and they should shut this White House correspondence dinner down, fuck you. You are a tyrant towards free speech and freedom of expression. And the fact that this is coming from people at the New York Times, from the Washington Post, from the Huffington Post, from Fox News, from CNN, you guys are all missing the fucking point here. Because if you want to levy control on freedom of speech on in terms of what Michelle Wolf said during the White House Correspondence Dinner, you're doing it to yourselves as a consequence, right? Because once you say you cannot say something, 
that translates across all media because what you've got then is a precedent, right? You've got a precedent to say, ah, oh, you can say this, 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 and this, but definitely not that because this one here over here, this one here over here offends people and we can't have that being offensive to people. You have every right to be offended by something that somebody else says, but it doesn't mean you're right and it doesn't mean other people should care. Freedom of speech is everything, guys, right? If there's a Nazi on the street corner screaming the Holocaust was fake, you know, Jews are ruining the world, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I don't like it. But I don't think he should be removed. It's just like Twitter removing people who are blatantly white Westerners who are making these infringements onto what Twitter and their board consider to be an infraction or a violation of their terms of services. Freedom of speech is everything. The whole thing is... I may not like what you have to say, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. That cannot apply to only the things you're comfortable hearing because that removes discourse, that removes critical thinking, it removes debate, and it removes criticism, which is one of the most important things that we have at our disposal as a population. Without our verbal discourse and the ability to say what we want, when we want, how we want to say it, is our freedom of expression, is our freedom of speech. Just because you don't like what I'm saying doesn't mean you have the right to stop me saying it. What happens in that particular instance is you're allowed to refute me. You're allowed to give an opposite opinion to mine. And through honest debate, we can, we can have that argument out. And then the people have the opportunity to decide which side of the fence they want to fall down on or if they want to remain balancing on the top of it. What you can't do is you cannot say to people, you're not allowed to say this. This particular subject matter is off the table. You cannot say that. That is a removal of freedom of speech. That is a removal of your right as a human being. And once that's gone, you never get it back because it just keeps getting chiseled away at. Because like I said, then we have precedent, right? We have precedent to say, well, you can't make fun of somebody's appearance because it might hurt their feelings, right? Or you can't make a comment about this social situation because it may offend some people who feel differently than you. I'll say it again. They have every right to be offended, but they don't have any right to tell me that I can't say it. What they can do is refute me and throw their freedom of expression and their freedom of speech into the ring of debate or conversation or argument with me. But we cannot restrict what people can say. And I don't want to restrict what people can say because if you if you muzzle people, they disappear. They recede and then we lose them. And the worst thing that you can do is lose sight of an enemy that you need focus square in your crosshairs, right? I don't want Nazis being taken off Twitter. I don't want the guy, uh, what's his name, Tommy, 
um, is it Tommy Morrison or something like that? The guy who founded the BMP. I don't want that guy taken off Twitter. I don't want Hamas taken off Twitter. I don't want Al Qaeda taking off Twitter. I don't want any of these guys taken off Twitter. We should have them present front and center so you can shine a light on them. But going back to the uproar about Michelle Wolf doing a stand-up comedy routine, having a go at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who for the past year and some odd months has stood up on stage in front of the world's media and done the done the fantastic, I say fantastically obvious job of lying for her boss to the world, making fun of reporters to their face, being rude and disingenuous to their face, being sarcastic and obstructive and just a fucking liar when a comedian has 90 seconds and has a goes at her for 90 seconds about looking like a character from a fucking tv show or being an uncle tom i say well done i say that's what comedy's all about that's what comedy's always been about do i like her comedy no, I don't. I think in terms of comics, I wouldn't give you five bucks to go and see her perform. But she should still be allowed to say what she's got to say or say what she wants to say. Again, in the form of artistic expression, in terms of, you know, it being a medium of stand-up comedy. That wasn't even the worst thing I heard that day. But none of these fucking squares have a sense of humor in their body none of them can take a joke everything is now a personal attack and it goes back to the jordan peterson sentiment that we now reside within a society where there are two sides of the fence there are the oppressors and the oppressed and you cannot be in the middle you are one or the other and what michelle wolf found herself that night being accused of was of being an oppressor. She was oppressing Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was oppressing her by having a go at her personal appearance or at her at the way she's done her job. So then what happened? All the people that wanted to support that person being oppressed became the oppressors and flipped the script to try to make Michelle Wolf the oppressed. It's a victim game, right? It's a victimization game. There's no dialogue here. There's no, can we stand back for a hot damn second and say, hey, this was a stand-up comedy routine? Of course she's going up there to make fun of people. Of course she's going up there to roast the people who are leading the country. That's what the whole fucking thing's about. So the fact that there's all this virtue signaling and outrage now just goes to reinforce the fact that we live in a society that is ever increasingly becoming about either you are an oppressor or you are the oppressed. And that is a victim society. That is a victim blame game, right? That's all this is. This is nobody wants to take accountability and stand up and say, you know what, Michelle, your stand up sucks. It wasn't funny, but 
you had to say what you had to say and you raised some really salient points about the fact that she is a fucking liar Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She is an Uncle Tom because she sat there and defended a president who has over a dozen sexual assault or sexual harassment allegations against him right now. Yet she will not risk her job or risk her political positioning, right? She's Mike Huckabee's daughter, remember? She'll not risk any of that for the sake of going against the grain and standing up for her own gender, right? And Michelle Wolf said the same thing about Ivanka Trump. So what was the thing? She's more useless to women than an empty box of tampons. You know what? Bang on the money. We're going to have a go at Michelle Wolf for bullying or being derogatory for Iv to Ivanka Trump? Fuck you guys. Fuck the media that's standing up for her. Stand, fuck, uh, and standing up for her, I mean Sarah Huckabee Sanders, right? Because the only ones that are standing up for Michelle Wolf are the other stand-up comedians out there that are basically saying, hey guys, fucking relax. They've spent a year shitting on everybody from the Mexicans to the Chinese to the Europeans to women to um, transgenders. I mean, Trump doesn't even want transgenders in the fucking military. Right? Makes fun of retarded reporters. Right? The whole uh, 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 thing. I mean, the litany of things that this guy has done to offend people, to bully people, to be rude to people, to make fun of people and call them fucking names in public that you can get the transcripts from Twitter for. Now the media is outraged because a comedian had to go with the press secretary for a fucking minute and a half. Suck my balls. Bullshit. Bullshit. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear anything about it. So what I'm going to say is we need to be very careful because ultimately this isn't about Michelle Wolf. This is a much wider conversation. This is a freedom of speech issue. This is the fact that we should not for a second stand up to anybody that is willing to come at us that poses a threat and an infringement on the right to say what you want to say. The only caveat I've got to the freedom of speech being a carte blanche blanket thing is if you incite violence specifically against somebody else. That's when I say, okay, you've now become, you've now gone too far, right? So, for instance, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders looks like um, looks like the Beast from Harry and the Hendersons, right? She looks like a fucking Sasquatch, right? All day long, I can say that. All day long, I should be able to say that. All day long, I should say that. And anybody that's got a problem with that should be able to come back all day long and tell me why that's a problem. Now, if I said... Sarah Huckabee Sanders looks like the abominable snowman and somebody should go out and shoot that cunt. That's too far. Similarly, the people who are saying that Michelle Wolf should be beaten in the streets because of what she said, too far. We don't levy personal attacks and threats against somebody because that's a threat. You're taking your freedom of speech to direct 
a personal attack of violence and, and harm, physical harm, real consequential harm to another person. That, no, can't have it. Can't have it. Call somebody a cunt and a bitch and a whore. All you fucking want. Words, words, right? Sticks and stones, right? All that. But once you say, go take a stick and beat that person's head in, then I got a fucking problem with it. Because then we've passed the barrier of freedom of speech. And what you're doing is trying to incite actual violence specifically targeted to someone else. And that I cannot agree with. But we need to be very, very careful, right? Because more and more we're seeing these infringements on our rights to freedom of expression. And I think we need to be very, very careful about how we protect those things, how vehemently we stand up to protect those things, and how categorical we are when we call out people who are trying to infringe on those. So to Michelle Wolf, if you ever hear this, I'm not a huge fan of your stand-up, and I'm sure you don't give a shit. But with everything that I've got, I would defend your right to do that set as poorly delivered as a lot of it was every single day for time and memorial, right? For the rest of your life, you should be able to do that and worse. Because that's freedom of expression, freedom of speech. And stand-up's a fucking art form. And it's the last bastion of hope that we have to retain freedom of speech in its most honest form. Its most unfiltered form. So anybody that wants to have a go at that from the New York Times or from the Washington Post or from the Daily Mail or whoever it fucking is, CNN, Fox, I don't care... You should, be, you should be ashamed of yourself because you are trying to dismantle the very thing in which your whole entire industry is based on and survives off of. So be very careful before you go criticizing somebody outside of your specific industry when it concerns one of your fundamental core values of being able to do the job that you so respect and try to uphold. Because if it's gone, it's gone and you're never getting it back. And I'll tell you who wants that. The guy who couldn't be bothered to show up to get made fun of. Fuck that guy. And fuck Sarah Sanders too. Stupid fucking bitch. Couldn't even crack a smile. I mean, you know, I I get it. You know, if somebody's making fun of you. But, man, check out the Justin Bieber roast. Check out the Shaq roast. Check out the fucking roast of Donald Trump. I mean, Jesus Christ, the fact that he won't show up to a press secretary, you know, it's because it's in front of all the press, in front of all the media, you know, I mean, it's so, it's so weak, man, it's so weak, um, but I just think, I just think we need to be very, very careful because that, it's things like that that erode the things that you need the most, and like I said, it's like privacy, right? everybody was so blinded by the lights of the iPhone when it came out. Nobody realized what was going on. Nobody realized that that was the beginning of, you know, your loss of privacy as an overall. You know, I mean, it happened before that, but, you know, from a mass surveillance point of view, that's kind of when it really took off. 
I mean, they say that, you know, in the last two years, we've collected more data than we have in the entirety of the, you know, existence of humans, right? And so on and so forth, because the amount of data we collect increases exponentially month on month, year on year. And therefore, the trend remains that we are gathering more data every two years than we have in the entire history of the human race going back, you know, and like I said, that will continue because they're not slowing down and things like GDPR, which is a general data protection uh, regulation that's coming into effect tomorrow uh, by all accounts across Europe, which means that any website that wants to serve you with advertising or collect and scrape your data needs to be explicit in its explanation of intent, <coughs> pardon me, with that data and what it can do and who it will share it with and you have every right to consent or not. What access you'll get to those websites, I don't know yet. <coughs> what con um, I guess what consequence this will have on data gathering is still get to be determined. But ultimately, I advise you guys to have a look at your data policies for every single platform. And you're not going to do it. Let's be honest. You're not going to fucking do it. You're going to click I accept like you have with every other privacy policy that's been put in front of you in the last 10 years, right? Nobody's ever read the Apple T's and C's. Nobody's ever read any of the Google T's and C's. Nobody's ever read the Facebook T's and C's, Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth. But you use them and engage with those services implicitly and without reservation in terms of what content you're going to put onto those platforms and what might happen to that content once it resides in those platforms. So GDPR and I think there's something similar in the States, but not as current, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much of an impact these things are going to have, right? Because at the end of the day, I'll tell you one thing that the industry from uh, uh, the tech industry or the advertising industry or the, you know, uh, just the retail sector, the consumer products, the consumer electronics sector. I'll tell you what these guys don't want. They don't want to not be able to advertise to you. More so, they don't want to have their advertising less intelligent than it is right now. And right now, it's pretty fucking dumb. And that's with taking all your data and creating profiles out of you and still can't figure it out that I've already bought a holiday to Spain, so I probably don't need a holiday to Spain advertised to me the same fucking day. You know, I already bought that thing on Amazon. I don't need it to be retargeted at me for the next week. It's already shit, and they already have so much data on us. How shit is it going to be, and how shit is their targeting going to be able to, to be if things like GDPR are actually put into play and actually reduce the amount of data um, that people are sharing. That only happens if you read the privacy policies and restrict what they can do. At the end of the day, nobody's going to do it. A regulation is only as good as those that enact it or those that choose to use it 
or take part within it, right? You can protect somebody from something by putting laws and procedures in place, but if they just don't adhere to any of those things, then they're as vulnerable as they were before those regulations were put in place, and therefore, what was the point in the first place, right? So, read your privacy policies if you want to. If you don't, your choice. But... Just be careful, is all I'm saying. Just be careful. All right, we're just talking here, guys. We're just talking here. So, we got... Right, so this is becoming a big deal here now. Right? And for me, I, I really, honestly, truly couldn't give a fuck less. Okay? I don't care that Prince Harry is marrying an actress. I don't care. I, I fucking could not care less. You know why? You know why I would care? If I was getting a holiday out of it. Right? Same thing with this royal baby that was born. Arthur Louis fucking Camilla Parker fucking Elizabeth. You know, I don't fucking care. I don't care. I don't care that the monarchy is still around and all of that. I care that I have to pay for them. I care that my tax money goes towards supporting them and funding them and that they're just adding members every single year that, you know, we pick up the bill for. And I know people turn around whenever I say I've got, I don't particularly enjoy the monarchy People turn around and say, "Yeah, well, they generate a shit ton of money for this for this uh, for this country." Okay, they cost us a shit load too. What's the net plus or negative on having the royal family? Because I'll tell you, one of the net negatives, one of the net negatives, is the fact that they're going around. Because let's just put this in perspective, right? Um, when when Prince William got married to Catherine. They got married in Westminster Abbey, right? Because he's uh, going to be king one day. Harry's not. Plus, Harry's marrying a black actress who doesn't have any basis in British um, royal society. So, they're getting married at Windsor Castle. Problem is, there's going to be a whole bunch of TV cameras and a whole bunch of the world's press and fandomonium, royal fandomonium, that just pours into Windsor, right? Over the next, I mean, it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So one of the net negatives is Windsor actually has a homeless problem that's come to light. Nobody said a fucking word about this problem before they determined that this is where the wedding was going to be. Nobody said a fucking word about this problem, but now they're doing a proper cleanup. And I mean proper cleanup in terms of they're picking up the homeless people and relocating them. Now, if they are relocating them into social housing or to community centers or to rehab programs or medical facilities or mental health facilities, we'd be all good. But they're not. They're just fucking moving them out of uh, plain sight. 
they're moving them away from the camera's eye and therefore the public's eye so that we can have a really glossy, pretty, um, untainted royal wedding and celebration around that event. And I think that this highlights one of the main problems with having something like the monarchy where you ultimately are only keeping up appearances for the sake of keeping up appearances, right? I understand that they do a lot for charity. I understand that they do a lot for conservation. I understand that they do a lot in terms of the Commonwealth, right? And so they fucking should. They're given free money, right? And to to make public appearances or to set up something in their name that has a crown on the top and a nice crest and a logo around it and gives pomp and ceremony. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day um, about this construction uh, project that was going on around building social houses, I think somewhere in London. But then like Prince Harry and William came for a photo shoot and they just like basically one shoveled in, fucking, you know, dug it out, threw it over, snapshot, smiles, happy days, beautiful, right? They've done something. They're helping to contribute. They're helping uh, justify the money that we're paying for them. Not for me. Not for me. There are version of the Kardashians and they've just been around a lot fucking longer, right? It's an incestuous family that's rooted in turmoil, scandal, uh, drama, incest. And it's like, well, they're fucking German anyways. So, like, I'm not buying it, right? Like, I don't get the the admiration. Like, I get that Diana was everybody's princess, right? She was the nation's sweetheart and things like that. Look into her. Just look into her. And I'll give you a guy who wrote a book on it, Christopher Hitchens. Have a look. Have a read. Explore. Because as soon as you kind of scratch the surface, you understand that this is not all sweet, rosy, glistening, you know, magnificent benevolence. And I say, well, why should I support them if I don't get anything in return? What do I get? What is, this is it, right? What do they do for me? And I don't want to sound selfish in that statement, which I know can come off as a selfish statement. But when I say me, I mean us. You're going to watch the royal wedding and you'll be like, oh, that's so nice. Look how pretty Meghan Markle looks. Look at Prince Harry. Doesn't he look dapper? Look at William. Oh, my, I can't believe he asked him to be his best man. Oh, that's so nice. They're brothers. Who the fuck else is he going to ask? But everybody's going to be like glistening. And yes, it's a day of celebration. And yes, it's a day to be happy. I get that. But fuck me. How much are we displacing the focus from our own lives 
for the sake of these people. Who wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire in the streets. Right? What does it matter to you that William and Kate had their third baby? Who's fifth in line for the throne? What does that matter to you? Why does that give you such a fulfilling feeling? Are you that dissatisfied with your own life and your own existence that you have to project your happiness onto other people vicariously through this family? To me, it's pathetic. To me, it's a joke. To me, it's unnecessary. If they want to do it, that's great. If you do it, the people directly funding you and keeping your existence alive, don't forget Queen gave herself a 10 million pound pay rise two years ago that we're paying for. What do you get directly other than the chance to have a glass of champagne that you pay for, watch it on TV or drive down, right? The TV in which you're paying a TV license for or you go down to Windsor and you try to catch a glimpse of the carriage or whatever it may be, for what? Unless you have a direct positive, net positive impact on me, I don't need it. I don't need it and I don't want it. If you guys want to exist and make your own money and do all of that, go ahead. But we got a housing shortage in this country, apparently. And I see the biggest landowners doing fuck all about it. We have a poverty crisis in this country. Shown never more obviously by the fact that you're rounding them up and moving them out of the neighborhood so you can host this wedding. But I don't see the richest or one of the richest families in this country doing anything substantial to solve that problem. And I know people will throw up this charity and this charity and this charity and this charity. I get it. Charities are established all the fucking time. Displace the wealth that they have and these things would still be here. I guarantee it. Because good things are not done by only people in positions of privilege. That's it. They are they are justifying their position of privilege by doing certain things, but ultimately are being funded by us. They don't make any money other than quote unquote tourist dollars. Right? But you could have the changing of the guards without having the people inside Buckingham Palace. You could have Buckingham Palace just being a fucking museum. We don't need the monarchy. They don't do anything. So I think it's really gross that they're taking the steps that they are around the homeless community um, in Windsor where they're not really actually providing any solutions or any help to these folks. They're just getting them out of the way so they can have nice, pretty pictures. Um, I got a problem with it, man. I got a problem with the whole thing. Um, 
and maybe I'm being just a stick in the mud. My wife says, oh, why can't you just be happy about it? I don't look at things like that. I'm happy all the time in my life, doing things that are going to affect me and my family positively, my health, my well-being, you know, all of this stuff. That's the stuff that makes me happy. I don't get one ounce of pleasure watching Prince William and Kate walk down the aisle of Westminster Abbey. My heart rate doesn't change. One fucking beat per minute. Unless it's the fact that it's raising my blood pressure because I'm wondering how much this shit's going to cost me. And is it going to have a net negative benefit against effectively everybody that wasn't inside the fucking church? It's an old way of doing things. I appreciate the standard and the historical value that it can, you know, that it can symbolize. But it is nothing more than a symbol that costs us money. And I think if they want to maintain the monarchy, then they should put a business plan in place that sees them doing that without payment from us. Really that simple. It's the same with the fucking TV license. We are way gone past the days where BBC has any right to claim that we need to pay money to have a television in our homes. Way past it. And it's robbery. That's all it is. It's robbery. Because they haven't figured out a commercial market or a commercial model that exists and operates and functions in this market. You got to let the market speak. I've, I've talked about this on previous shows or on a previous show. Um, they should be a they should be advertising based or they should be a subscription model. That's the only way. <coughs> that's the only way you can operate in broadcasting in today's world. That's it. You can't levy a man. Imagine if everybody had a Netflix tax. Or everybody had a Sky Atlantic tax or a Sky box office tax or an HBO tax because that's all the fucking TV license is. And I barely watch the BBC. And I think they fucking know that because they're funded and swayed by whatever government is in power. So we just have to carry this tax on? This license? This TV license? Fuck you guys. TV license. I need a license for a TV. I need a license for a car. But these motherfuckers can go around having babies at a clip and a pace of whatever their little, their little reproductive systems fancy? Garbage. Garbage to me. We're levying this on people. We're moving homeless people out of the line of sight of a panorama, you know? This shit is archaic, man. We need to come to the fucking, to today. We need to come update our shit because it's really, really weak. And from an outward perspective, anybody that's looking at this objectively is like, what the fuck is going on? It's only when you put your subjective slant on it that can you can that you can justify any of this shit. A tax to have a royal family that has zero day-to-day -day benefit on your life. 
and you're happy paying for that because there might be some pomp and ceremony the next time one of these fucks get married or has a fucking baby? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. You're going to fine me for watching television in the comfort of my own house if I don't pay your TV license? Fuck you. Fuck you. I say fuck you to that. I don't care what our version of the Kardashians are doing this week. I certainly should not have to pay for it. Hey, Americans, what would you do if there was a fucking Kardashian tax? Exactly. It's a joke. Just because these fucks have been around for 400, 500 years, have been nothing but heathens, conquerors, and fucking murderers for the entirety of their existence... And now we gloss it over and act like it's some princess story because some divorcee from America is coming to marry in our ginger prince. Fuck off. And you can justify moving homeless people and relocating them with no subsequent plan of action. Fuck you guys. Right. We just saw one of these politicians fall. And I know we're switching rapidly from politicians and Kardashians to um the royal family and all over that place, but we just saw one of them fall, and we've talked about this bitch on the show before. Amber Rudd has stepped down as Home Secretary over the um, over the Windrush scandal because, in a statement, she says, and I quote, "I inadvertently misled MPs about our deportation targets." Let that sink in for a second. This is a policy advisor, a policy maker, who said she accidentally gave the wrong answer about KPIs and targets regarding deportation when asked specifically about that. She said, no, we don't have any KPIs about getting uh, no, no uh, percentage targets to hit in terms of removing individuals from the country or making it harder for people to get rights and benefits in this country. No, 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 no. We don't have it. Oh, fuck. Actually, I forgot we did. And I didn't mean to say that we didn't. I just, I inadvertently said that we didn't, but actually we did. So please, if you haven't or don't see through that, let me just break that down for you. Like I've been saying on this show over numerous episodes when talking about this disgusting human being that is Amber Rudd, speaking about her hypocrisy, about her conflict of interest, about her MO around her career, what she basically said in that statement was, I'm sorry I fucking lied through my teeth and got caught for it. We were trying to get rid of people and I got caught doing it. And when I got caught doing it, I lied and then I got caught lying about it. So now I have to quit my job. Fuck you. Good riddance to you, you piece of shit. Please, anybody that's listening, tag her. On Twitter, tag her. 
tagged the home office, tagged Theresa May. Because the only thing more disgusting than that piece of shit is our prime minister's response to her stepping down. She's very sorry to see her go. Yeah, you know why? Because she fell on her sword for you, you stupid fucking bitch. Because you were the one running that place when these policies were ultimately taken hold of and enacted. Your hardline, obstructive process of coming into the UK was nothing short of racial stereotype, racial profiling, and the marginalization of minority communities. And as it goes from my perspective, if Amber Rudd steps down, your fucking ass should step down too, Ms. May. Because you're a disgusting human being just like she is, and you both knew what the fuck was going on, and you both stood up in front of the whole entire government and lied. And just like your fucking comrade on the other side of the pond in Washington, you should both be out of a job. Because if I fucking lied to my boss, even once, as grotesquely and blatantly as you guys have, I wouldn't get a chance to apologize. There'd be no compensation. There'd be no getting a private sector job. It would be, go fuck yourself. Go work at McDonald's or go learn how to make coffee. Because the rest of us don't get the insulation that you guys get. And the hypocrisy around a woman like Amber Rudd. And we've talked about this bitch before, right? So I'm going to drop it in a second. I just want to celebrate a little bit in her demise because she's tried to do it to so many people. That this is a real comeuppance. And I think she deserves everything that she gets. My only caveat to that is I hope she doesn't get anything positive. Because she fucking doesn't deserve anything. Her husband runs a medical med- medical marijuana distribution company. And she is of the position that weed has no medical value whatsoever. That hypocrisy right there disqualifies her from being a uh, any sort of a good person, right? For lack of a better word, right? And I don't want to go on a rant here and just be, you know, calling her a cunt every two seconds because that's ultimately what I feel about her. But the lies and the hypocrisy around this woman are overwhelming. And... This is the only right course of action. My problem is she can't even go out with any dignity because by saying inadvertently misled MPs, she deflects any responsibility that she did anything wrong. And she alienated a whole, what, two, three, four, almost four decades of migrants who have come over here and established themselves or tried to establish themselves. And when you hear horror stories about people being fucking uh, held up at the border when they've gone out to work abroad for business and come back from a business trip and not being allowed back in the country because this cunt destroyed their records. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. 
So I'm glad this bitch is gone. I want Theresa May gone now because she's equally culpable for this, if not more. And if you blatantly lie and you know you've blatantly lied, then you should be fucking gone and you should be out of a job. It's just really, really bad. I'll tell you what else is really fucking bad. <laughs> like that transition. I like. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what else is really fucking bad. Kanye West. <laughs> I mean. You always know when Kanye's got a new fucking album coming out, or five, as he's got this week. You know, you don't hear anything about him because, well, I think he's probably in a padded room with a straight jacket on most of the time when he's not dyeing his hair to look like fucking Eminem. Blonde haired Kanye, get out of here. So, obviously we've seen it, um, and I'm not going to spend any time on this because I think it's a joke. Um, I think it's pathetic, and I think giving it voice and giving it airtime is exactly the point of it, and therefore, um, I don't want to do that. Uh, if it's not a marketing scam or a marketing ploy to promote the release of these albums, which I think it is... Um, if it isn't, then then we've got we've got a wider problem. But obviously, Kanye's been coming out on social media saying you're not going to change my mind. I love Donald Trump. We're brothers. Da 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 da. Maga has been filmed. Uh, he's been uh, photoed wearing um, one of Trump's hats, and Trump signed it. And you know, this big bromance love fest going on, and you know, saying he's got dragons blood or dragons energy about him or some shit. Um, you know, and now this Kanye, what is it? Kanye, uh, versus, uh, or it's called yay versus the people or something like that. It's terrible. T.I. plays the people. Kanye plays Kanye. And it's basically him trying to justify why he supports Donald Trump. And I listened to it more than once. It's garbage, okay? This guy's convoluted in his thinking. He um, he is a self-proclaimed non-reader, so his level of understanding about history and where this struggle is actually coming from for, you know, the majority of African-American people in the States is really disrespectful, you know, I mean, I heard he lost something like nine million followers when he uh, when he was um, when he was, I guess, when he posted that photo uh, of of him wearing that hat. Um, <coughs> but I mean, this guy's got some severe mental issues, some severe psycho psychological issues. And I mean, all you got to do is go to his Twitter, right? Um, you know, he's just a very, very confused individual and I'm not willing to support him. 
right? And this is this is how this is how I give an example of speaking with your wallet, right? He'll get a certain percentage if I buy his album on iTunes. He'll get a certain percentage um, of advertising revenue or subscription revenue if I give him plays on Spotify, okay? Um, he'll get a certain amount of market value if I open his tweets, retweet him, reply to him, whatever, right? And for the purpose of this quick conversation, quick dialogue, I had to look at all of it, um, but I will not be buying his album. I will not be downloading his album. I will not, now that I've listened to the first single that he chose to release um, off the album, because apparently he's got two out now, and if I'm right, the other one is, um, bear with me just for a second and I'll tell you, Lift Yourself, which is maybe the worst song I've ever heard in my fucking life. And I don't even know if you can consider it a song. It's more of an interlude. And if it's not an interlude, it's the dumbest shit I've ever fucking heard. Okay. But Bruce Jenner was a fucking Olympian gold medalist. Look what happened to him. You spend, you spend too much time with these crazy bitches and it'll flip your whole shit over. It'll turn your whole shit inside out. And I think there's an element of that happening with Kanye as well. Because most of the shit happened since he's been with that crazy bitch who's just an attention whore, you know. So fuck Kanye, fuck everything that he stands for and uh, and I'll never support him again. So that's me talking not only with my mouth and giving you my opinion, but I'm not going to download anything, I'm not going to pay for anything, and I'm not going to watch any content with this cunt in it. And that's how you talk with your wallet, and that's how you talk commerce and make real change and hopefully affect people. Raise them up or silence them. I just hope this motherfucker doesn't have a bunch of bangers. Because <laughs> if the rest of the album's hot, I might go back on the word. Just kidding. Fuck that guy. Um, what else is going on? We're going one hour and 20 minutes, guys. We're going. We're going. We're going. Uh, let's keep it moving, right? So the just a couple more things. Um, <laughs> one, I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about something that has kind of disappeared. Uh, in the past couple of weeks and it's got to do with gun control in America right because if you remember after the uh, Parkland shooting the the whole country exploded into this arm teachers um, way of thinking right should we arm teachers should we get teachers trained and armed in the schools and you know that would deter you know these madmen from coming in and, and shooting the places up and things like that well guess what happened teachers started asking for more cash right teachers started saying well if we're going to have these increased responsibilities and that was another thing that michelle wolf said in her stand-up that uh, was one of the dumb fuck policies that Donald Trump was trying to promote was get teachers with guns to deter mass shooters. And she made quite a funny act uh, joke actually saying um, that she supports this movement because then teachers can actually take those guns and sell them for things that they need like classroom supplies, which I thought was bang on the money because these teachers are overworked, underfunded, and underappreciated. 
So I'll tell you what we'll do to make it even better. We're going to make them train in firearms and controlling a hostile situation with an active shooter. And the teacher said, okay, well, you're going to have to pay us more, right? Because if we're teachers and security guards and marksmen, maybe we should get a bump in, uh, a bump in salary. Do you know what you don't want? You don't want to arm teachers with handguns, shotguns, whatever defense you want to put in them from a firearms perspective and then tell them they can't have the money that they've asked for. Because if you arm a bunch of teachers and then they walk out with their firearms, well, you got a whole, whole world of problems on your hands then. Because then you got a bunch of active um, teachers who are fucking pissed off and now have firearms training. So they're all packing, right? Even if you were to put like 500,000, uh, if you armed 500,000 teachers, pretty sizable chunk of people, right? That you can arm and give them uh, access to firearms. So you don't want them protesting in the street because that's not a good look, right? Your teacher's walking around with, uh, with open carry and, you know, all of this sort of thing while protesting wage and... You don't want to tell them they can't have the money because then they might be a then they might be a little slow on the draw, right? Or they might refuse altogether, or they might walk out. And then you got a whole bunch of other problems. So what you've noticed is that the whole arming teachers in schools conversation has gone to a quiet hush. They're not talking about this anymore. They don't want to talk about this anymore. And yeah, it's probably got to do with the news cycle and, you know, the fact that we can't hold a single subject um, for any more than 24 hours. But this one had a bit of momentum, right? This one went on for a couple of weeks until they said, well, fuck you, pay me, right? Hit him with the good fellas. Fuck you, pay me. Oh, you want me to shoot people and teach? Math? Fuck you, pay me. Oh, you want me to act as a security guard as well as an educator? Fuck you, pay me. And then they were like, oh, maybe we should rethink this, huh? Maybe we should shut the fuck up about this. Why? Because the plan of action was something written by a five-year-old on the back of a coloring book. Adding the thing that causes the problem never cures the solution, right? You don't cure an AIDS patient by giving them another dose of AIDS, right? And they're like, well, you do with flu. You got to give them the flu shot. Yeah. How's that working out? We have drug-resistant influenza. We have antibiotic-resistant diseases. Adding the thing never gets rid of the thing. Adding guns to the equation will not stop gun violence. But they did not think that these teachers would turn around and be like, yeah, okay, cool, fuck you, pay me. They can't pay them now. These teachers are broke. I mean, all you gotta do is a quick YouTube search and you'll see all the videos online of these teachers saying, Oh, well, I'm on my way to my second job of the day, 
I'm on my way to the third job of the day. I'm on my way to coaching and then I got to go to my third job of the day to make ends meet because I'm an educator. But as soon as they said, well, if you want us to carry firearms, there's going to have to be a bump in salary. They're like, shh, sh sh shut your mouth. Sh sh shut your fucking mouth. Shut your mouth. And then silence. So I'd be real interested to see if this conversation comes back around with any force or with any vigor, but I doubt it. It's going to be on the states to institute these individual programs. And any teachers that are going to sign up for this are going to do it on a voluntary basis. And I think anybody that tries to instill this by way of um, making it mandatory that you have a certain percentage of teachers in every school that are armed, like, you know, two teachers or three teachers or five teachers, whatever it may be, teacher unions are going to get involved. And, uh, well, we'll see what happens from there, you know. But coming back to this side of the ocean, because I was going to talk about Mac Maron and uh, Macron or whatever the fuck his name, the French president going over to America and basically um, having a little bromance with Trump or what it seemed to be. I mean, all he's doing is this is basically being nice to the bully. Right. This is that's all this is. This is being nice to the bully. And then he goes up in front of fucking Congress and basically shits all over every single policy that Donald Trump had. But I'm not going to go into all of that because I don't think it needs it. Um, I just think it was really, really funny. And if you saw it and understand it, then you get it. But um, yeah, coming back to this side of the pond. I, uh, I did an episode early on in the show's uh, life, which was, I think it was called Pug Nazi and Big Brother Zucks. And <laughs> one of the things that I touched on in that was, um, was this guy in England who basically taught his girlfriend's pug to salute Hitler or to respond to uh, anti-Semitic or Nazi-inspired um, phrases like Heil Hitler and, you know, different shit like that, right? And I was telling you about the fact that he was charged with a hate crime or with hate speech or some shit like that. Well, he got fined 1,300 pounds for putting up a YouTube video of a pug saluting Hitler. He got a fine of 1,300 pounds. Found guilty fine of 1300 pounds now obviously that's not obviously that's not the most severe they could have been with him but i think that is even more severe than they should have been with him because what they should have done is recognize the absurdity in what they were doing and the charges they were trying to levy and they should have said ah sorry our mistake you were being a joker you put this up for your friends and for your girlfriend Get the fuck out of here. Stop doing stupid shit, but get the fuck out of here. Nope. They had to make it a thing. They had to make it a thing. They had to make it a hate thing. They had to make it an anti-Semitic thing. They had to raise the volume of the anti-Semitic um, problems that they, that they insist are rampant in our society, which... I vehemently disagree with. I don't think anti-Semitic um, anti sentiments 
are rampant in our society. I think you've got assholes that hate people. I think you've got racists that don't like Jews, just like they don't like black people, just like they don't like Indian people, just like they don't like Spanish people, so on and so forth. Just like you've got black people who don't like white people, just like you've got Africans that don't like Arabs, just like you've got Muslims who don't like Jews, just like you've got Jews that don't like Arabs, and so on and so forth. You've always got portions of populations that hate other portions of other populations and you've got portions of populations that hate portions of their own population we're not living in Nazi Germany we are not living in a time where we have to worry about the leader of the opposition being an anti-semite and anybody that tries to make these irrational claims is part of the problem you're part of the problem that incites division, fracturing within societies, and chasms between dialogue. And whenever you create any sort of rift or chasm or divide between two opposing factions of society, you do nothing for unity, you do nothing for solidarity, and you do nothing for progression. You are part of the problem and you are just as bad as those trying to incite violence, hate, whatever. Claiming that there is an anti-Semitic problem by raising up things like Jeremy Corbyn attended this meeting or this guy's teaching his pug how to salute Hitler, to claim that as an uprising of the anti-Semitic fascism that arrived in the 20s and 30s and 40s convolutes and clouds the vision of anybody that doesn't know any better that might want to. And it's like I've said in a previous episode, if you call everything a Nazi, you won't see the Nazi coming down the road with the fucking billy club ready to crack you over the head with it. So we need to chill out. So... To that guy, I don't know his fucking name. Hey, really good training in terms of how you got that pug to raise up and do those commands. Maybe just choose a different subject matter or figure out the fucking privacy settings on your YouTube channel. Um, because you basically got a 1,300 pound fine for being shit at tech. Because if nobody saw it, this would not even be a thing. But it's always going to be a thing if somebody sees it. Because again, going back to what I was saying previously, you're either an oppressor or you're the oppressed. You can't just be a guy doing something for the fun of it amongst friends. Just like Michelle Wolf can't just be a comedian telling jokes that may offend some people. Nope, she's a bully, she's derogatory, and we should cancel the whole White House correspondence dinner, right? You see where we're going with this? Outrage, convenient outrage. Um, these virtue signaling weaklings it happens all the time it happens in the workplace right ever more increasingly you have to be careful what you say who you talk to don't fucking touch anybody and watch your tone because it might be seen as aggressive right I'm I'm called aggressive at least once a week and I am aggressive in my tone of voice and how I project and how I and inflect my speech but I'm not aggressive with my content right there's a big fucking difference just because I'm not a meek timid little mouse of a speaker 
does not make me a villain or a tyrant. Right? Content of character. Content of character. And you will not find a more fiercely loyal person than me until I'm not. And then you won't find anybody that's more vehemently against you. I'm loyal to a point until I'm not, and then I'm not ever, 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 ever again. So this weakling oppressor society that we are seemingly morphing into is, is really distressing, especially for people who don't mean any harm but are a certain way I guess if that's a thing like we've listened to enough of these episodes right you know how I talk you know how my voice sounds you know how I inflect my points yes I can go off and I can say you know derogatory things or I can say aggressive terminology or I can go at somebody aggressively for sure that's within my makeup but I'm not an inherently aggressive person towards other people I'm certainly not malicious. I'm certainly not a bully. But I'm very confident and I'm very assertive with my thoughts and my feelings. But that's that's frowned upon these days. In most situations and most definitely in the corporate environment. The corporate environment can barely manage me for a couple hours a week in the office. You know, and it's really sad because you got to tiptoe around meek individuals that if you strip down all the PC corporate HR bullshit, they wouldn't stand a fucking chance of survival. Darwinism would gobble them up, chew them down and shit them out into a mass pile of waste that ultimately they are. Timid little maggots. Who don't have a fucking spinal cord to see. No substance to speak of. Just don't disrupt my little bubble. Don't, don't, don't give me anything other than vanilla, tepid, lukewarm water. Nothing outside of my comfort zone, please. Fuck you. And fuck everybody like that. Because we're turning the world into a bubble wrap society and nothing makes me want to vomit more. Everybody needs protecting. Everybody needs sheltering. Fuck off. There was this training that was given in my work and I mean, I'm not going to comment on it because... (laughs) Well, for a number of reasons, but I'll just say that some people's idea of resiliency in comparison to others is really astounding, is really astounding, you know, because yes, there are different degrees of resiliency, right? And everybody's resiliency deserves, I guess, recognition to some, some way, shape or form. But I'll tell you one thing. When you've been resilient in the way that your life 
started out to a mom that was barely old enough to make her own decision, wasn't yet a legal adult, uh, born into an environment that ultimately saw you getting physically abused for you know, the first seven years of your life, then being uprooted and moved to a different country where you had to leave all of your worldly possessions behind, including your pets, to escape that violence, then to be, um, you know, inserted into a culture that you had no idea about, were ultimately not ready to adjust because you didn't have the means in which to do so, or the guidance or the infrastructure within your family to help bring you up to a to a, to a point of equality with other people that were already established within that environment, then to go through the uh, constant changing of male figures, ultimately not to, to not have any in your life as a, as a developing young man, then to be basically thrust upon with the responsibility of being the man of the house and the and ultimately the guider of 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 sensible decision making only to fall into uh the struggle with alcoholism to then come out of that darkness and to uproot yourself and bring yourself back to the country of your birth with little more than a few hundred pounds in your pockets to then make it to a point where within 10 years you are married own a house have have a good job um savings um a family pets you know a good environment to me what i just outlined for you would equal resilience having a panic attack in front of a coworker and then being able to give a public speech for 2 minutes is a form of resiliency for sure. And I'm not trying to say, oh, my resiliency is better than yours. But like I said at the outset, there are degrees of resiliency. And I think with our constant bubble wrapping of people in this society, we start to lose perspective on what struggle actually is and what resiliency actually means, right? I mean, maybe one day I'll go through it and maybe one day I'll do like a my story episode or something like that. But man, when you've been smacked around with a belt for years as a four-year-old, come and talk to me about how you made it out of that. When you can remember vividly not getting anything for Christmas because there was no money to get anything for Christmas and you watched your mom get smacked around instead, Come and talk to me about resiliency, you know, because again, there are varying degrees of it. And I don't think bubble wrapping everybody is helping with developing a strong personality and a truly resilient personality is if all we do at the site of any struggle is cuddle that person up in soft cloths and bubble wrap. Sometimes you need to eat some dirt. Sometimes you need to get a broken nose. Sometimes you need to be destitute and alone. I don't recommend it. But I'll tell you what it definitely does. It makes you fucking resilient. So sitting through a you know multi-hour seminar 
about being able to do public speaking, I have a different perspective on things. Let's just put it that way. So um, resiliency comes in all shapes and forms. I get that. But to make that form of resiliency seem like the beacon of hardship in our world is a bit of a piss take. I was at the gym the other day, like you, you guys know, I work out all the time, five days a week, like a fucking savage. Start to look good, by the way. Um, <coughs> just kidding. Um, I was in the gym the other day. I hadn't seen a person that I used to see on a daily basis, a uh, female. Very, very nice person. Always happy, always happy. Never saw this person without a smile on their face. You know, always had something positive to say. And this kind of goes to my resiliency point and the degrees of it and what we actually need to hold up as resilient and what we need to basically say, you know, in no uncertain terms, fucking man up, right? Get over yourself. Oh, you can't speak in front of people. There's ways of dealing with that, okay? That's overcoming public speaking and a fear of public speaking, which every single fucking person in the world has, okay? But when a... When, when you see a person who is positive all the time, happy all the time, and then you see them at five o'clock in the morning when you're you know coming into to work out and they're crying their eyes out. And in terms of you know when I see people in distress, I'm very careful of how how abruptly I get into their business, right? I'll always ask, is everything okay or what's wrong or, or something like that? But if you don't volunteer that information, I back the fuck up because it's none of my business at the end of the day. So I did. I gave this person a hug. I said, if you ever need to talk, I'm happy to talk. I hope you're okay. And then I leave it. So I see this girl, she's sobbing and crying her eyes out and she can't contain herself and she's, you know, she's trying to get through her workout obviously to take her mind off things, et cetera, et cetera. And then I see her the next day. And she tells me what's wrong. And it turns out that her husband has been beating her. 2018, and I know you know, domestic abuse happens every day all over the world. I get it. But 2018, this girl is well-to-do. She works in HR. She's got a good job. Her husband, you know, is in the fitness uh, industry and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, they've got the car and the house and the two dogs and, you know, all that good stuff, right? And, and I say, well, I say to her, well, didn't you just get married like a couple of months ago? How can your, you know, how can this have happened already? And it turns out that they'd actually been married for a couple of years legally, but had only gone through the ceremony part of it like six, six, seven months ago. But effectively on the night of the ceremony, he started smacking her around and it went on for, well, effectively seven months before she got up the courage to uh, say enough's enough because it became quite bad. But I was just thinking the resiliency of this girl to stand up on her own, 
and take this sort of action. And what's worse is she wasn't crying because of the memories and she wasn't crying because of the pain that this piece of shit had caused her. She was crying because she didn't she couldn't take her dogs with her. And she was crying because she had to go and see them because they were the part of the marriage that she cared about the most. They were the part that she was missing the most. And she knew that she had to see them to, I guess, fill a little void in her heart, even though she knew she, she, knew she couldn't take them. And even though she knew she had to see the guy that was beating her up in order to get a bit of respite and a piece of relief in her heart to see the dogs, she did it. And she's over here. She's not British. She's over here on her own as well. Now, she's got a much tighter uh, community around her than, say, I did when I first joined or first came over to the country. But nevertheless... When you're a victim of abuse, you're alone. You're alone. When you're a victim of spousal and domestic abuse, you are alone. So, this is the only reason I bring this up is because of perspective, right? I've given you a, a, a kind of an abstract example of my upcoming, uh, my upbringing, and and the shit that I had to go through. But this is something that happened five days ago that I was told about, and I just think you know that in. In context, in context with you know the thing that I had to sit through um, at work, it's just really, it's really worth keeping this perspective in mind, right? Because everybody wants to make everything a fucking problem when there are people out there that have real struggles and real problems that actually need our attention and deserve us paying the attention to them and hoping at least to help and try to find some resolution to this or at least showing some compassion and understanding and lending an ear or an arm or a cuddle or whatever it may be, right? You don't like your job? Go get another one. You don't like your coworkers? Talk to them about it. Any, I mean, perspective, folks, perspective. Um... I'm going to be, I'm going to tread carefully here because, you know, we can go down a, a few different routes with this and, and I think without spending the time to discuss the nuance and the context of it, I don't want to belittle anybody else's struggle. I know anxiety is a real issue, um, but I don't think anxiety is a bad thing. I think we have to know and learn how to handle it. Because there are studies out there that show now that anxiety is, one, manifested a lot by uh, diet and exercise, of which most people do not partake in nearly enough. Also, that stress can actually be used to make progress in life if we know how to harness it and adjust to it accordingly. 
anxiety is debilitating when we only see it as a debilitating thing. If we see it as something that A, is a consequence of something in our life that we're not optimizing, but also if it does creep up on us that we can use it to our benefit, I think if those two perspectives were more reinforced around the affliction of anxiety, we'd have a lot less people suffering from it as severely as they do. But I'm sorry, you being anxious about arriving late to work and some girl who's getting her head beat in because she's got an abusive partner, when we define resiliency, I think we have slightly different definitions. Um, and I don't want to be insensitive to anybody's plight because, you know, I'm not in your shoes. So I don't suffer from anxiety the way a lot of people do. Um, but I have seen it manifest and it can be a terribly debilitating thing. But I've also seen a lot of inaction, whereas that is concerned. And I think a lot of it could be mitigated with some action plan involved. If I start to feel a panic attack coming on, I am going to do A, B, and C. And if that doesn't work, then I readdress it and I look at it the next time. But that versus the fear of coming home and getting beat up because you say the wrong things... We got to kind of put resiliency into perspective as we have to put oppression into perspective, as we have to put the oppressors into perspective and accountability where it needs to be. At the end of the day, that's what everything is about for us on this show is about accountability. So. Yeah. Two hours almost, guys. I think I'm going to wrap. I got a call coming up in just a moment um, from overseas. So I'm going to sign off and say thanks for listening because, fuck, I went on a two-hour tirade, guys. I hope it wasn't all rant, 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 even though it may have sounded like that. I hope there was some, some nuggets of information in there for you and... Um, that you got something out of the episode and maybe learned something about me, learned something about yourself, took some perspective on it that you maybe didn't have before. Um, but ultimately, hope you found it useful and I hope you found it entertaining. Um, for me, it was great. <laughs> um, I got mine. I hope you got yours. Let's put it that way. Um, but that's it. That's it. That's episode uh, 28, right? Is that episode 28? Yeah, episode 28, done and dusted. Let's dust it off, right? Let's park it. Let's uh, let's close down the show. Until next time, uh, we've got uh, some UFC coming up, I think. Um, I'm back probably on Wednesday, uh, but we'll see how the week goes. Um, and from there, we'll keep it moving, guys. We're almost at 30, and before you know it, we're going to be at 100. And then we're talking Joe Rogan numbers. Then we're talking Diddy Paper, baby. Let's do it. So, for now... I love you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, this is The Quiet Part Loud. I'll be back real soon. All the best, guys.